Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. So we are in week three of a sermon series called You Asked For It, and this is season four of You Asked For It, where uh, anyone in the congregation can submit questions and we'll try to preach about them. Notice I don't say answer because I don't think we can answer every question anybody has. You know, I have a long list of questions to ask God when I see him. Um, But uh, before I start, I just want to invite any teens in our church to join us for youth. We meet on Tuesdays here at the church at 6 p.m. We're done usually around 7.15, and this week we actually get to have a pizza party. So, and we're playing video games and maybe board games, and it's going to be a good time. So, um, put that on the calendar. If you're a teen, you are welcome. We'd love to help disciple alongside parents as they disciple their teens. I'd love to participate in that with you. Um, All right, so let's get into it. This week, like I said, is is episode three of season four of You Asked For It. And the question that we're going to address today is this one. Should any or every good deed be tied directly to evangelizing? This was asked by uh, Miss Vicki Voigt, who... Maybe she's watching online later. I don't see her here today. Um, but we'll address it. We'll try to, try to preach through it. Um, I think the Bible is a little clear. I think we can answer this one. But again, I don't promise we can answer every one. The sermon title is called Made for This. Ultimately, should any and every deed be connected directly to evangelizing? Yes, basically. So if you have 30 seconds to listen to me, Uh, There you go. You can go on with your day. But of course, it's more complicated than that, uh, and I'll try to talk about it more as we go. We have far more motivation to do good works than just evangelism. Far more motivation to do good works than just evangelism. Now, I don't say that to minimize evangelism, uh, but our good works are rooted in our character, rooted in our identity, more than telling others about Jesus. Now, I'll get to explain that a little more, because even when I thought to say that, I was like, hey, can I really say that? So we'll talk about it more as we go. Um, I could have chosen probably 100 verses from the New Testament today, and I chose to focus on just a few, but really I want to highlight a couple and direct you to the New Testament yourself to take time to read it, look at it carefully, see what it says. Many of the smaller epistles later in the New Testament are chock full of the type of things that we'll talk about today. Uh, So I encourage you to read it on your own, too. Uh, Good works and evangelism are so intertwined in the New Testament that it would be impossible to separate them, even if you wanted to. But the place of good works in the life of the Christian is rooted in more elements than just evangelism. To get closer to the meaning of the text that we'll look at today, I want to simplify the parts, simplify the question and talk about it in parts. Essentially, why do Christians do good works? That's the first half of the question. And what is the relationship between good works and evangelism? 
And that's the second part of the question. So we'll address the first one first. Why do good works? We'll talk about just three verses in Matthew 5. So you can turn there with me, or it's on the screen as well. I have the NIV on the screen, but whatever translation you prefer is, is fine. We'll read from Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. All right, I'll read now. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. could just talk for a few minutes about this verse, and it would really answer the question. Lights are designed to shine. Lights are not desi designed to be hidden or to be put under a bowl the way Jesus talks about. It's impossible to cover a city. At, it's impossible to cover a city at all, but especially if it's on a hill. You can see it for miles and miles. But the point Jesus makes is that others may see and glorify God, glorify your heavenly Father through your good works. In this, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and in this section, Jesus is giving his central ethical teachings to his followers. Jesus' message seems straightforward here. And in the same way that a city, if it be on a hill, cannot be hidden, or the simple truth that when someone lights a lamp, they intend to use it to light the house, so also is the disciples' motivation for good works. They promote the gospel by obeying Jesus. Now, you may have noticed, or maybe you didn't, but I said promote the gospel rather than proclaim the gospel. Now, these two words are kind of similar, but there's a big distinction between them. And that brings up a really necessary sidebar that we really need to talk about. Uh, most of the time when I preach, I like to share a book that has changed my life. I really like to tell a lot of people about books that I read that changed my life. I've been through a good bit of schooling, and finally I'm done with it, and there's a stack of books that have completely changed everything about my mind and my thinking every time I get through the next one. And I brought it up here, and this is one of them. It's by an author named John Dixon, and his book is called The Best Kept Secret of the Christian Mission. So I think John Dixon is a teacher in Australia at a, at a Bible college or something, and he wrote this book. And uh, freshman semester of my, like, my first year of Bible college, this was the first book they had us read. And being a college freshman, I read about three pages of it at the time, and then later went back and actually processed it and thought about it and read through it, and honestly, it's changed my life. Um, you can borrow mine if you want to, anybody. Probably about four bucks on Amazon or something. Um, proclaiming the gospel. Here's the central idea of his book. Proclaiming the gospel is not the same thing as promoting the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is an action you pursue. Uh, you take the words of Jesus or the words of Paul or the words of one of the other apostles who says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Turn from your ways and serve the God of the universe who's come in flesh. The one who died for your sins, who was raised on the third day, who was witnessed by 500 followers plus some, and ascended to heaven. The one who made all things right, a little bit, mostly, 
with the promise that he'll come back again to make all things right fully. That's a message. That's information. That's the proclamation of the gospel. But it's not the same thing as promoting the gospel. You might take that message and say them. Say those words to a family member or to a friend or to a complete stranger. And this is a great thing. And honestly, this is where I want to point you to the New Testament to read it for yourself over the next few weeks or so. uh, Because uh, I learned that I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. This was something I picked up and I couldn't tell you where it came from. Uh, But someone told me, rehearse the good news of Jesus each morning because you need his grace every day. I live each day, you know, waiting expectantly for the capital D day when Jesus will come back to make all things right. And I encourage you to spend some time reading the Bible and praying and write down how you would proclaim the gospel to yourself or to someone should it come up. Proclaiming the gospel is good, but it is an action that you do. Again, promoting the gospel, on the other hand, this is a way of life. This is a broad category of habits and it's focused on your mindset as you do the sort of things that Christians do. Maybe it'd be helpful to think of it this way. Proclaiming the gospel is like giving someone a gift. It's like giving someone new information that God then uses however he sees fit in their hearts. After hearing the message, the, uh, they'll slowly grow the way you water a plant and someone else tends the plant. You know, we see that metaphor in 1 Corinthians 3. But after they've heard the message, it turns into promotion of the gospel for that person. God is the one who causes all the growth anyway. And I think Paul would say that each of the workers lived in a way that promoted the gospel in that story in 1 Corinthians 3. So ultimately, everything a Christian does is promotion. Not everything a Christian does is proclamation. That's a really important distinction. Promoting the gospel, it's giving yourself to the life Jesus, instead of giving a gift, it's giving yourself to the life that Jesus taught his followers about, and that the apostles, the early church fathers and mothers, and all Christians since have worked out how to live in their context, in their time, in their setting, in their situations. This is the responsibility of every Christian everywhere at all times. Always promote the gospel with everything you do. The words that make up the gospel message are that information. They don't automatically mean that the person's life changes upon hearing. What the gospel means for people is far more than just information. You don't need me to tell you this. It's the changing of their standing before God. With the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, the person is regenerated. They're made alive in Christ. It's a whole new way of living. It's the best news ever. The gospel means that their sins and sinfulness are put to death on the cross and that sanctification starts and that believer now becomes responsible to obey God with their life and to do what he says to do with it. And that is this, to take up a cross and follow him. Christians everywhere are called to always promote the gospel, but not every Christian is called to always proclaim the gospel. This is crucial for rightly placing good works uh, beside evangelism. So that was a big sidebar. But essentially, 
I'll read this passage again just because it's, it's not that long. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the call that Jesus gives to those who follow him. In this case, you are, the people he's talking to, the, the disciples around him, the people listening, they're the ones who are made into light. There's a different way that the New Testament talks about light where Jesus comes into the world and he is the light and he's shining his light in the darkness. And that's, uh, that's a different meaning than Jesus is saying right here. He's just making a metaphor to say, lights shine, they're made to light up the room. Why would you ever hide it? So to be a Christian is to do good works. To be a Christian is to serve God and obey him with your life. To be a Christian is to do God's will in front of people. I put together two different quotes uh, that have been used greatly by Christians in their own context to start out, to sort out this promotion of the gospel. And the first one is this. Really, it's at the end of a long argument that I'd love to share the book with you if you were interested. But here's the quote. It is by seeing the cross and the community beneath it that men and women, all people, come to believe in God. That was from a theologian of the 20th century. Real good dude, if you guys are interested, please ask. But essentially, the people who are outside of the gospel, who are outside of the community of believers, they might see the good deeds of those in the community and glorify God. This doesn't automatically mean that they're just you know, in or that they've you know, signed their name at the bottom of the paper. But it's, it's the first step. It's the first catching of the attention. It's the, when the person asks a question back, that's when you know, hey, I've, I've made an effect on this person. Not that it's all your, not that it's any credit you should take for leading someone to the Lord because someone led you to the Lord anyway. You were, um, but essentially the, the good deeds that we do in front of people draw strangers to God. People come to faith when they believe in the message. This is a simple sentence, but one we often miss when it comes to proclamation. People come to faith once they believe in the message. I'll talk about that more in just a minute. There's another quote that I wanted to talk about, and maybe you've read it by now. It says this, Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. This was a quote, and I thought it was um, a guy named St. Francis of Assisi, and he lived in like 1200s in the city of Assisi, wherever that is. And um, that quote is usually attributed to him, but actually he didn't say that. And anyway, you didn't need to know any of that. But basically, the point holds true in most cases. Your conduct in the world determines your influence. Your conduct in the world determines your influence. My mom always said when I was growing up, you can be right but wrong at the top of your lungs. So you can be right as long as, as what you're saying can be as true as the day is long, but if you're going about it in the wrong way or if you're raising your voice when it's not necessary, you've missed it. You've lost the person. And it, uh, this is a, a thing I noticed when I, 
as I've been growing up is that my generation especially, and those younger than me, and increasingly everyone else who's older, is allergic to inauthenticity. Absolutely allergic to someone who seems fake. If someone comes across as inauthentic, we immediately dismiss everything they're saying. I was thinking of how a used car salesman typically has a reputation for being very untrustworthy, right? Because it's very easy to clean up a car and make it look real shiny and nice and cover up an engine that was not taken care of that could be about to just blow up, that could leave you with $1,500 in repairs in the first three months. That that happened to me and Jody. We had to fix our car like three months into owning it because it looked nice. Frustrating. Frustrating. People outside the church usually feel this way when being approached by a Christian who's trying to evangelize them. This is just true in the world. Don't have to like it. It's true, though. They might come across as fake or not believable believable or inauthentic or condescending even. We need to remedy this. We need to figure out how to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel while promoting it as well, rather than just giving someone the information and expecting, all right, Holy Spirit, take it. Um, we need to promote the gospel just as much, if not more, than we proclaim it. And at the same time, there's another element that I've seen uh, that I sort of talked about a little bit. Uh, what you're saying can be super true, but the way you say it can be wrong. If you read a baby book in a threatening voice, it doesn't matter what the book says. You know, like if, if you're reading a book to a baby, it could be their favorite book in the whole world, uh, and you sound threatening, they're going to cry. They're not going to like it. And I have a, a pretty funny story about this. Essentially, I have a couple friends, a couple of Jody's and my best friends have some kids, and their oldest one's four. And when she was like one and a half, uh, I read Brown Bear, Brown Bear to her, and I was playing around, you know, and I said, I'm not going to shout it, but I like shouted, brown bear, brown bear, what do you use? And when I tell you, her face melted into terror. She, inconsolable for 15 minutes, for 15 full minutes. I felt so awful. And then they had another kid, and I did it again. I was playing around. Oh my gosh, I felt way worse that time because we were just playing. You know, I was like, oh, remember when I did this and I did it and it, there was no going back. I felt so terrible. I made both of them kids cry. I think they've forgotten now. I mean, they're four and one, but um, the, point's, the point's there. If you read a baby book in a threatening voice, they're going to cry. I hated doing that, by the way. And I I haven't scared my baby yet, just in case you're wondering. She's about two months old, and I haven't scared her yet. Um, So essentially, we hold two truths in our hands. On one side, we as Christians can't be swayed or guided by others' opinions of us, right? The people who are never going to hear the gospel or who are going to immediately dismiss us, even if we're being very loving and not condescending, Even if we clean it up and deliver it perfectly, some people are still going to say, you silly, foolish Christian, who believes in God when you turn on the light bulb? Who believes in God when you have a condo collapse due to misuse and miscare? And me, I do, but it's still really, really sad. 
Um, so that, that's one. We can't be guided. We can't be, uh, we can't be reserved based on others' opinions of us, right? But on the other side, we can't give up the spreading of the gospel while still calling ourselves Christians. We can't give up spreading of the gospel while still calling ourselves Christians. The thing that we were made to do is to, at the end of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, I won't read the whole thing specifically, but the point is that you we're called to go and baptize all nations, teaching them to obey, because Jesus will go with us. So these two truths have to be reconciled. Not, I mean, ultimately, we want to... You know, let our uh, voices be seasoned with salt in the world. That's a metaphor used later in the New Testament. Um, we want people to like us, but we can't stop saying it if they don't, right? We need to reclaim some pop- proper method of telling people about Jesus, of proclaiming the gospel while promoting it. This method should dignify the listeners, not treat them as targets. They should dignify them as image of God bearers, and still, so dignify them, and still fully invite lost and hurting people to the best news they could ever hear. I'm not here to give you that answer. That's what I want us to seek together and bounce off each other and think about as we go on today. A few other reasons, a few other motivations for good works exist. Well, certainly many other motivations for doing good works exist. A few I want to highlight on another slide. Doing good works is obedience to God. Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Let me flip there. It says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, we really have a handle on how God created each person. We have a handle on saying, you know, in eternity past, God determined exactly who you were going to be. He determined every decision you were going to make. Maybe you say that a little differently. But we're really aware of how God was so involved in the creation of ourselves. He's also as involved in the creation of the good things that we were made to do. The good works that we'll do in the world. It's God's handiwork. It's his masterpiece. The thing that he put time into to make. He made you, and that's a wonderful miracle. That's amazing. (laughs) And he prepared good things for you to do. It was always God's plan for us to do the good works that we end up doing. Another motivation for doing good works is to inspire others to ask about our way of life. Now there's a verse, a few verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 11 to 12, that speak to this very clearly. Again, there are many more. But uh, the youth will tell you that we have a practice of, at youth group, we have a practice of sharing a Bible verse that we've read over the week that really the Lord spoke to us through or just where God has had us camped and reading Scripture. And they'll tell you, I've been camped in First Thessalonians for about a month. I just keep reading it over and reading it over and reading it over. So once I knew what I was going to preach about, I immediately knew I would talk about this verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 to 12. And, make, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that, so that your daily life 
may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. In their specific context, it was advisable from Paul himself that they didn't attract too much attention to themselves as Christians, just that they lived their lives simply in obedience to God. And that by the action of obeying God, slowly, day by day, not making a name for themselves even, God would slowly turn the people around them towards himself. That's never been our responsibility, to turn anyone towards God. I can't turn myself towards God. He has to make the first step in my own self. And I, like, want to love him. And you can't even imagine for someone who doesn't want to love him, certainly we would say, God needs to make the first step. Just that they live their lives simply in obedience to God is, is enough for their context. Another motivation of good works is that it is our public praise of him to obey him. We are assured by our faith what uh, we assure, we are assured of our faith by the fruit that we produce. Another verse to talk about this is Matthew chapter 8. What verse is it? No, Matthew 7, verse 16 through 20. I guess it was probably on the screen. Yeah. I'm going to read that. Matthew 7, verse 16 through 20. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not only will we recognize others by their fruit, this is what Jesus is saying here, but our own selves, we can kind of prove to ourselves, we can test and see, wow, the Holy Spirit has changed me because I want to be doing this rather than that. I want to grow in this other fruit of the Spirit over time as I seek Him. Lastly, that I want to talk about is God is glorified when we serve Him. It is the nature of good works that not every single thing that you do will be seen by other people. Your promotion of the gospel will sometimes lead you to give $5 to a stranger on the side of the road. No one else is going to know about that except for maybe the people in your household who notice the money missing, right? But sometimes good works that you do don't get seen by anyone but you and God. And somebody today, this afternoon, somebody is going to wipe down the little windowsills of dust in this room. And no one's going to know. <laughs> this is a good work that someone does in front of God. That, you know, they're doing God's will. They're obeying him, sacrificing themselves to serve him. That gives him praise from ourselves, from maybe someone who does notice, wow, that looks a little shinier. You know, somebody might notice that. But essentially, some of your gifts are just for you and God. And he's glorified when we serve him. Now, there's another saying I wanted to say, talk about today, and it's, if you feed them, they will come. This is a, you know, it's kind of something that you put on a plaque, like on the wall in a, like, kitchen or something. And uh, my in-laws have it, and that's why I think about it. Uh, because that's, it's saying, people will come over to your house if you give them something. Essentially, people are motivated to join you if they have a reason. 
So I'll use a family dinner table as an extended metaphor to try to sum it all up. All that I've been saying so far this morning. Picture with me a family that has two parents and three kids. Right? They all sit down to dinner and they begin passing the food around. Each of those family members might have a different motivation to be at the table that night. The youngest child sees the promise of dessert as reason enough to sit there and suffer through the dessert that, or through the dinner that's put in front of them. The middle child is there because he gets to tell everyone about the amazing day he just had with a friend. The oldest child, a teen, is there simply because the parents made her sit there. There's no other reason for her to be there. She might get hungry later, right? But she's there because they told her to. In this imagined family, one parent works inside the house and the other parent works outside the house. The one who works at home has just finished making the food and they're excited to see how the family likes the new recipe. The other parent is tired from work. They are simply starving. Each person is at the table for a different reason. But behind it all, behind each of their reasons, the ones that they feel right now, they're at the table because they belong to the family. They're at the table with this overarching reason. They're together because God put them together. Not, you know, putting them in different houses or at different tables throughout the house. The motivation to join the family dinner table may take any combination of several different forms, right? This is the same as our motivation to do good things. I hope it's clear. Each reason is valid enough for the moment to glorify God, to help the situation of others around us, to invite others to faith, to do God's will, to show that you are thankful to God for all of his grace, or to test or prove fruit of your own faith, or to proclaim the message of the gospel. But the binding reason we all share is this. It is the responsibility of all Christians everywhere to always promote the gospel. Eventually, there's going to be a dinner when they're not serving dessert afterwards. And that kid is still going to have to eat dinner. So they're going to need to be motivated to join the table without dessert being held in front of them. And as things change and grow, more complicated motivations are appropriate, right? Um, I became a Christian when I was four because hell sounds bad. And if you don't think so, then, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Hell sounds bad, right? That's a motivation. Ultimately, Jesus' salvation is kind of fire insurance. Like, that's true. It just is. But beyond that, this is the best life to live. Like, I really think that. I'm fully convinced. I am in the best possible way of living right now, serving the Lord and being obedient to him, inviting people to this wonderful way of living that has changed me forever. When you make the gospel attractive to outsiders, right, this is an idea I kind of mentioned that's going on a lot later in the New Testament, especially First and Second Peter, uh, which we've been looking at in Bible study on Thursday nights. All these plugs for all these things we're doing. Um, we've been looking at like a chapter a night, and I got to go once, and it was incredible, and I'm going to keep going. But we've been looking at these verses, and they're talking a ton about the looking like Christians to outsiders. So when you make the gospel attractive to outsiders, this is my last thing, okay? It isn't that you do something or present the gospel in a way that makes it more attractive, it's already the most attractive thing in all of history ever. 
There's nothing you can do to add to that. But living in such a way that outsiders might come to see clearly just what it is that we believe, that's the part we get to figure out. That's the part we're motivated to figure out how to do in our lives. When we say, when we proclaim that the God of the universe who loved the world enough to come to its brokenness and give all the people back, give all the people a way back to right relationship with him, making all things right in the world in a partial way, and looking forward to the day with a capital D when he fully makes things right again. When we live in such a way, or when we speak those things, we also have to live in such a way that promotes the gospel to let outsiders see that the discipleship under the crucified and resurrected king and his upside-down message and his upside-down way of living, we have to live in a way that lets them see that this is the hope of our entire existence. When we show that that is a central tenet of Christianity, we've done God's will in front of people. We've done nothing more, essentially, than get out of the way so that the outsider can see Christ clearly can see the life that we're inviting them to clearly. The outsiders can see Jesus clearly when we obey him. So I'll close with some reflection and action. This is our typical way of ending sermons. Something to think about and something to do. It makes practical immediately all of this stuff I've been saying. Ask yourself this week, how does it look to promote the gospel in your life? We all understand uh, proclamation of the gospel and I grew up with a lot of guilt because I let a lot of my friends go without telling them about Jesus or telling them about some message I'm supposed to know how to say ultimately yes we should proclaim we should say the words of the gospel but every second of our whole lives is to promote Christ so how does it look to promote the gospel in your life and then another thing to reflect on is just a statement more than a question. It's this. Words matter. How you say them matters more. To relate to our culture, to figure out how to live as a Christian in our context, this is of utmost importance. Not just answering to all of the objections that other ex-evangelicals around us have come to say is a problem with the church, right? This is a term that's all around the place now. Is like not evangelical. You're an ex-evangelical. You're not an evangelical anymore. You've broken down your faith because of this horrible trauma that you experienced at church or because of this other bit of theology that no one explained to you clearly and they left you in the dark or for whatever other reason. Words matter and how you say them matters more. So take that and think about that as we go. In terms of an action, I have two other uh, little things that I would love for us to do. Like I said before, take some time praying this week and in the coming weeks. Pray, read scripture, and write down the message of the gospel. Use the two principles that we talked about before, like the um, not bending to others' opinions of us, but also living the gospel as the central part of our lives. Take these two principles uh, and figure out how you will talk about them. Don't, while you do this, don't make verbal proclamation of the gospel the center, the center of your faith. It's just not the center. Okay, obedience to Christ is, discipleship is, 
you could say that promotion of the gospel is the center of our faith. And then a last encouragement is this, to do God's will in front of people and not in front of people. All right, integrity matters too. Uh, with that, I'll pray and we'll close. God, you are good and you are big. I couldn't breathe without you. I couldn't take another breath without your blessing and your love on my life. Without the provision you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the best news ever. I thank you for trusting us with it. God, let us not see ourselves as the ones who spread your message. Let us see ourselves as the ones who obey you while you spread your message. God, help us to embody your justice in the world. Help us to figure out how it looks to do your will in front of people. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the way it's ministered to my heart. And God, I ask that you would help it to minister to all of our hearts as we go on with our days. Lord, I love you dearly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others can benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.